0: Christ Church, New Malden. Sunday, the 4th of December, 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurtz speaking on, what do we learn about the coming of Jesus from Isaiah? Well, I wonder if you are one of those people who once Christmas is all over, tend to remember the positives. Being with those people that you love, I think we've got a photograph of this, enjoying the special food and drink. Loving the parties, the presents, remembering those bits, remembering seeing our children and our grandchildren being excited about it all. Perhaps you're someone who, when Christmas is all over, as I say, tends to remember the positives. But there is another side of Christmas as well. A side of Christmas that we're only too aware of around this time of year in the run-up to it. What I'm talking about is the mad rush of preparation, buying all of those presents in the cold or driving rain, sending all of those cards, and the constant worry about whether we'll get it all done. Christmas, if truth be told, is often a real mixture of all those positives and all those negatives as well understandably and probably quite rightly we tend tend to remember certainly once it's all over those bits that are positive don't we and we do much the same with the Christmas story it's a wonderful joyful story that we celebrate each year isn't it this truly fabulous story that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ into that world as a tiny little baby Why? So that we could be saved. So that we could be rescued. So that we could be restored to him. And it's appropriate that we celebrate so much of this story with lights, don't we? Whether it's candle lights, like the one that was lit earlier, or whether it's lights in electric form, uh, tastefully done or otherwise, it's appropriate that we celebrate this story with lights because of course Christmas is all about God's light coming into the darkness of this world in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's very easy and completely understandable to focus at Christmas time purely on the light, purely on the positive, rather than on the darkness that that light came into. Focusing on the light is positive, isn't it? It's hopeful while focus on the darkness can seem the very opposite. But of course, the truth is that we can't really appreciate the light to its full degree. We can't necessarily understand the light to its full degree unless we appreciate and understand the darkness that that light came into. And that's where the message of the prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament can really help us. Ask most Christians if they can recite one verse from Isaiah, and they might be a bit stumped, but if they think about it, and if you give them a clue, think of the carol services that you've attended throughout your life, think of the first reading, a lot of Christians might be able to come up with one verse of Isaiah, and it would be this one coming up now. They might say, oh yeah, yeah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. The poetry, even in translation of these verses, helps make them memorable. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Why do we remember that so often? Well, as I say, it's often read near or at the very start of carol services. Why is it read? Because it's so good for setting the scene, particularly in a service of carols by candlelight, which we'll be having Uh, in the week, in the Sunday before Christmas, hopefully when the World Cup is finished and those penalties, if they happen, are finished. But why does this tend to be a reading that's commonly used at the start of a Carols by Candlelight service? Because it's so good in starting off that service in darkness and preparing the way for the readings, the more obvious readings that follow from Matthew and Luke's accounts of the Christmas stories. And just one of the paybacks for taking Isaiah seriously, and there are actually loads of paybacks of taking this book in the Old Testament seriously, but one of the paybacks is that we don't just learn about the light, but we learn more about the darkness that made that light shine so brightly and in a way that was desperately needed. You see, Isaiah isn't just the great prophet of God's light. Isaiah is the great prophet of God's darkness as well. Who was Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was a man who lived around about 700 years before Jesus and within Jerusalem. Because of the access that he had to the kings of Judah, some have suggested that Isaiah may have been a nobleman. Quite often prophets were shepherds or they might come from lower down the social scale. It's been suggested that Isaiah has such immediate access to the king that perhaps he was a nobleman or even part of the royal family. Now, we don't know. That's just guesswork. But what we do know from Isaiah chapter 6 is that on one occasion when he was in the temple, Isaiah had an amazing vision. This was read to us earlier. An amazing vision, what of? Of God's holiness. A vision that then made Isaiah see much more clearly than he had before, both he and and the people's sinfulness. So Isaiah sees God's holiness, and then he sees what he is like by comparison, and he says these words. Woe to me, he says in this vision, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What happens next in the vision is that Isaiah's lips were cleansed by a seraph, who touches them with a burning coal to take away his sin, before Isaiah is then commissioned to take God's message to his people. And the message that Isaiah is commissioned to take is a very strange one, because he's told this, these words. Isaiah is told by God, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That is an extremely odd message, isn't it? Isaiah is commissioned by God to actually close off his people to his message. Isaiah is commissioned by God to make their ears dull and close their eyes. And why? Well, the passage says, because otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. It is extremely odd, because Israel turning to God and being healed is precisely what you would have imagined God wanted. And it gets worse. Isaiah asks God how long he's got to preach this message, and this is what God answers God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. That's what the words say. Occasionally you get commentaries that try and sort of make out he can't really have meant that, he must have meant something else. But that's what Isaiah says. And it's clear that whatever more he might have been, Isaiah was firstly a prophet of judgment and very severe judgment because what he pronounced was that God was going to deliberately, very deliberately, shut off his chosen people from his healing power. Israel's sin had got so bad that God was going to shut her up somehow in her state of sin and make it inescapable. And this is where we get the emphasis in Isaiah. Don't worry, because it does get more encouraging in a minute. But that's where we get the emphasis within Isaiah upon darkness. So in chapter 5 of his prophecy, Isaiah says these words. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. And as part of God's judgment, this state of darkness was confirmed, as the prophet says this. And if one looks at the land, he will see darkness and distress. Even the light will be darkened by the clouds. And we see something similar at the very end of chapter 8, just on the eve of that passage that I quoted earlier, and we have read to us. Isaiah says this at the end of chapter 8. Distressed and hungry, this is talking about the people of Israel, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they'll look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So darkness is actually a pretty clear theme in this book of Isaiah. God's people experiencing his judgment through being left to stumble around in the dark without his guiding presence. Now, what did that darkness mean in practical terms? Well, part of the darkness was foreign invasion, the pagan Assyrians who came in Isaiah's time and took control of the very northern part of Israel while also surrounding Jerusalem in the south, and that's a picture of them sieging Jerusalem. That was one part of the darkness that came upon Israel, foreign oppression. Another part was more internal, the enemy within, we could call it, Another part of the darkness was Israel's Davidic kings. Those who were meant to live by faith in God's promises and rule with justice and righteousness, but did the very opposite, ruling in a faithless and oppressive manner. And for God's people, surrounded by all of this darkness, experiencing distress and seemingly cut off from God forever, it must have seemed completely hopeless. And it does seem like that when we go through times of darkness, doesn't it? All of us go through times of distress and desolation. All of us go through times when God seems distant and, frankly, indifferent to what is happening. We can sometimes feel that on a wider level as well, especially if things are happening within our country or the world that we're unhappy with. We can look towards the earth and see only distress, see only darkness. We can look at the world and see only fearful gloom, and we can wonder what on earth God is up to. And where Isaiah can help us is through its message that the darkness and the distress is actually all part of God's plan. It's not random, it's not meaningless. It's not the result of a God who's negligent or indifferent, but the result of a God who, whatever it might look like, knows completely what he's doing. Because what Isaiah shows us is that the darkness that God allowed to come upon his people was a vital preparation. The darkness that God allowed to come upon his people was a vital preparation for this appearing, for the light coming to his people Israel. God's calling of a people who turned out to be just as sinful as the rest of the world in the people of Israel wasn't a mistake, but it was all part of his plan so that that sin could then be borne by the perfect Davidic king who God, as later sections of the book of Isaiah show, combined that royal status of being a king with being a servant. Later on in his prophecy, Isaiah talks of a servant coming who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Why? Precisely so that God's blessings could then flow beyond his people, now freed from sin, to everyone within the world. And that's where that famous passage from Isaiah chapter 9 that we're so used to hearing at Christmas time gains its significance. As all of that darkness that I've just spoken about helps us to understand its light, gives us greater clarity on the impact of what its words are saying. And if we look now at chapter 9, and we're going to look at the different parts in it, it's only seven verses we'll see that it all makes greater sense, hopefully, from what I've just referred to. So how does it start? It starts by referring to those very northern territories that suffered the humiliation of being the first parts of Israel to be taken over back in the time of Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus, the first parts of Israel to be taken over by the Assyrians when they invaded were Zebulun, Naphtali, and Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, received that name because of the pagan invasion. And it sees those people in those very regions who were so used to walking in darkness through this happening then seeing a great light. Those words which we're so familiar with gain an extra significance by understanding what had happened to that very region of Israel 700 years before Jesus in the time of Isaiah. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, that very territory where they had been so humiliated, Isaiah says, a light has dawned. And rather than the land being diminished, rather than it contracting as it did in Isaiah's day, this vision of the future shows God enlarging the nation enlarging the nation and increasing the people's joy onto the next one. Just like in the days of old, when God defeated Israel's enemies such as Midian, their oppression will have ended. And why will this have happened, this great reversal? It's because in place of the weak and faithless Davidic kings of Isaiah's day, God had sent the genuine article. A son who would be the perfect king a son who would be the embodiment of God himself. Finally, Israel would get the perfect king that she needed to deliver God's promises and God's righteous rule. And this perfect king, Isaiah says, will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever, establishing that kingdom with perfect justice and righteousness. And of course, that's what we see in the ministry of Jesus, don't we? We see that child king, that son who is given as a king, born in Bethlehem down in the south, but revealing God's light for the first time where? In those northern regions of Israel, the very places that Isaiah spoke about, the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. There is a picture of Galilee. And that's where the ministry of Jesus began, didn't it? In those lowly northern fishing towns that's where his healings first occurred his exorcisms and the other miracles and it was all the fulfilling of Isaiah's prophecy and of course Jesus then followed this by decisively defeating Israel's real enemy in the power of sin and evil that was oppressing her so that everyone even those pagans who were formerly seen as her oppressors could be incorporated into God's perfect kingdom and become part of its eternal reign of justice and righteousness. So this Advent, 2022, as we approach yet another Christmas, many of us have lived through plenty of them, let's make this Advent a little bit different Helped by Isaiah, perhaps, and it's no bad thing to have a go at reading it. It's 66 chapters, but you could try and read uh, perhaps the first 12 chapters. Helped by Isaiah, let's not just focus upon the positive. Let's understand the positive more deeply, because we engage a little bit more with the negative. Let's not just focus on the light that came in Jesus Christ, the perfect son of David, but also upon the darkness that Isaiah actually says so much about. The famous bits may be the bits to do with light, but there's plenty about the darkness as well. The darkness that looked like a sign of God's absence and God's indifference, but in reality it was all part of his mysterious but very deliberate plan for perfectly revealing his light so that sin could be fully defeated once and for all. And so that everyone, not just God's existing people, not just the people of Israel, but so that everyone could belong to him. The darkness seemingly random, seemingly pointless from those who were experiencing it, which in reality was vital preparation for the revelation of God's perfect light. And if in our lives at the moment... We feel rather oppressed or desolate or rather confused about stuff that's going on. Perhaps this can help us. Perhaps this message of my Isaiah can help us to have greater confidence in what God is up to in those times when the darkness in our own lives seems overwhelming. Because it can often seem that God is conspicuous by his absence, can't it? We might feel bad admitting that, we might feel we're letting the side down as Christians, but it's really, really important that we are able to be honest at those times when God does seem absent, that we're able to speak about it, talk about it, be honest, express that, particularly to Christian friends who can support us. The reason it's important to be honest about that is because it's only really by being honest about the darkness that we can then really engage with the light that makes a difference to that darkness. God can often seem conspicuous by his absence, but that's actually never the case. Even when God appears to hide his face from us, he's actually always working to a purpose. And he's always working to a good purpose as well. The purpose of his perfect justice and his perfect righteousness, his right rule, being advanced over this earth. That's the witness of Isaiah. When we're allowed a sort of macro picture into the whole of God's purposes as we get in this uh, amazing, comprehensive book of the Old Testament, that's part of the value that it brings us. The witness of the book of Isaiah is that even the darkness that God allows to come is all part of his plan for revealing his perfect light. That will have different applications for each one of us, but let's cling on to that, particularly if there does appear to be significant darkness within our lives. And let's remember this Advent and at Christmas time that message of Isaiah overall, particularly as we hear these famous words, which we're likely to hear at some point. The people walking in darkness, Isaiah says, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let's pray for a moment just before Tim takes over. Father God, we bring before you the darkness in our lives, or the darkness within the lives of those that we love, or perhaps as well the darkness within significant sections of this world and our country. So often it can seem, Lord God, that you are completely indifferent and conspicuous by your absence. And yet we pray, Lord God, for faith. The faith displayed by Isaiah that even the darkness is part of your sovereign plan for revealing your light. Would you help us to be honest and realistic about the experiences, the tough, difficult desolations in our lives? And we ask this Advent time that you would help us to recognise the difference made by your light coming into this world in your perfect son, Jesus Christ. Amen.